Are you listening to AR Zone, podcasts featuring interviews and commentary from Animal Rights Zone, the online social network for humans who seek justice for other animals. You can find us on the web at www.arzone.net. I'm your host, Carolyn Bailey. In today's AR Zone interview, we're pleased to welcome our guest, Matt Ball. Matt has been a globally recognised advocate for other animals, for vegetarian diets and for applied ethics for over two decades. He's presented at and written for diverse forums over the past two decades. Matt has written dozens of essays, articles, editorials and book chapters and is the co-author with Bruce Friedrich of the Animal Activist's Handbook in 2007 and in 2014 he published The Accidental Activist. Matt is currently president and co-founder of One Step for Animals. Matt joins us today to speak about One Step and more specifically about the Vox video that was recently published and the reaction to that video. Matt, welcome back to AR Zone. Thanks for having me, Caroline. It's an honour to speak with you. You're very welcome. Thanks, Matt. Matt, as you know, I asked you to speak with us today to clarify some of the issues that were raised from that Vox video. I was really disappointed to see some of the reaction to the video and some of the misrepresentations of your views and of what you actually said. I'd like to speak about how vegans treat other vegans later in the interview, but let's start with the really obvious question first. Do you advocate that humans ought to eat cows instead of chickens? And have you ever actually said that? No, I've never actually said that, Carolyn. I, the, what I say actually in the video is I give the, the case for the numbers um, that people eat in the United States at least eat about two dozen chickens every year. And if they stop eating chickens, then no matter what else they eat, they go down from eating about 25 land factory farmed land animals a year to about one land animal year. And it, that's just a simple algebra to, to make the point that chickens are consumed in just vastly greater numbers than any other land animal out there. So it's just a basic way to make the point to people who've never considered it, that chickens are so very abused in such great numbers. Thanks, Matt. Um, Matt, the title of the video was, Want to Save Animals' Lives Without Going Veg, Eat, Quote, Beef, Not, Quote, Chicken. This was heavily criticised, and in my opinion, so it should be, the language is kind of speciesist, but recommending that eating anyone as part of a plan to save lives is going to upset most people who see these beings all as individuals. Did you upload the video to YouTube yourself, and did you choose that title? No, I had nothing to do with any of the text surrounding the video. I do not own the video. I have no access to the video footage. I had to sign a waiver before... Um, the video was shot. Um, Fox, Fox Media paid for the videographer, and I signed a waiver um, giving up all my rights to anything that they did with the video. The, the title of the video in particular, I, I think I've seen some people say that because the video had so many views, they think perhaps Fox chose a suitable title for the video. I, I guess it's it's possible that the video has been so widely shared because it reassures humans who care about other animals that it's perfectly okay to eat those that they care about because they're other animals. Like you hardly need to do anything to change in order to be a so-called hero for the animals. Everyone wants to feel good about themselves. We all want to be the type of person who we see ourselves and who others see as doing good in the world. So, I mean, I guess 
that's another way to look at why the video was so popular. Well, I don't think that people need um, my blessing on to feel good about themselves. Uh, you know, unfortunately, you know, Peter Singer published Animal Liberation over 40 years ago. And at least in the United States, if you look at the one survey that's been done consistently with the same language, the Vegetarian Resource Group survey, the percentage of vegetarians in the United States basically hasn't changed at all um, in the last 40 plus years. It's always been around two, two and a half percent, always changing within the margin of error. From 2012 to 2015, the percentage of vegetarians in the country by this survey actually went down. Um, was lower. I mean, it's all within the margin of error, so it's it's hard to say what the real numbers are. But it's not as though I came along and people were like, oh, well, now it's okay to eat meat. I mean, the vast majority of people are happy to eat meat as it is now. We've been at this for 40-something years. We've spent hundreds of millions of dollars, and yet 97, 98% of people in the United States happily eat meat. Um, so I don't think that anyone is is looking for my personal validation on what they what they eat. I'm going to skip forward to one of the questions I had later in the interview based on that. One of the things and something that you just mentioned is that vegan education isn't working. And in the video, you use Peter Singer's groundbreaking book, Animal Liberation from 1975, as you just mentioned. And it seems that you're using it as an example of how long we've been doing vegan education. However, we, I don't think we've really been doing, really been focusing on vegan education for that long. Even your own advocacy had a focus on fur and other single uses of other animals until the mid-90s when you decided to advocate for vegetarianism and then later for veganism. And you were one of the first to do that. Most of the big animal groups didn't follow for quite some time. Ronnie Lee, who's co-founder of the Animal Liberation Front, and a lot of other advocates from those years report on the same thing. If we've only had a focus on vegan advocacy since the late 1990s or even later in a lot of cases, is it fair to make claims that vegan advocacy has been a failure? Well, there, there are two aspects of this question. That's, you know, it's, it's a really good point that in the United States, a lot of the the advocacy was focused on for in vivisection. Um, the Economist, the magazine, the British magazine, The Economist did a cover story on what humans owe to animals back in the 90s. And they point out that in Britain, there had been vegetarian advocacy for a long time, but not in the United States and not until I and, and people like Bruce Friedrich and Paul Shapiro really argued for it um, in the United States. And so that's that's true. That there's not been a lot of it in the United States. There's been more of it longer in Britain. Um, so there, there's that aspect of it. The other aspect of it is is the whole part of, of vegan itself. Um, there was a survey done by MBA students at the Eller School at, at the University of Arizona in 2015 that found that the, the public in their surveys, there were four groups, and each group found that the public had a negative opinion of vegans and had and had the opinion that veganism was impossible. And a more recent survey um, that Paul Shapiro was had shared found that vegans were viewed worse than when than atheists. You know, every group out there except for drug addicts. So the the problem is is that people know what vegans are now. It's, the bad thing is is that they have a very negative view of vegans and they have. A, a view of veganism itself as impossible. 
Matt, in the Vox video, you said that you think it's not surprising that someone like Anthony Bourdain would call vegans Hezbollah, meaning or at least implying that they're terrorists or fundamentalists. Why would that not be surprising to you that a man who knows so little about vegans and about veganism, I mean, he isn't even sure how to pronounce the term vegan, would have any credible opinion on vegans, let alone that we're all terrorists, that any person would say such a thing was was really shocking for me. Well, the funny thing is, is that when I talk to a lot of my friends, my vegan friends, and I say you know, that I wasn't endorsing Bourdain's comment, but I was saying it wasn't surprising. Their reaction is, well, it's not surprising. Have have you ever met vegans? Um, so I think that it's, you know, it's pretty common knowledge, at least within my circle of vegan friends, that there are vegans out there who are very in your face, fundamentalist, radical um, and as you know, not terrorists per se, but just fundamentalists in in that respect. See, I don't see that perhaps. Well, I don't I can't imagine that things are particularly different in Australia. And I speak with a lot of people online as well. And I, I just don't see that. Tom Reagan wrote a lot about how the user industries go to a lot of trouble to portray animal rights activists in negative ways. In his book, Defending Animal Rights, he wrote, Today, members of the animal rights movement commonly are said to be fanatics, extremists, radicals, or the most frequently used verbal bomb terrorists. He talks about this incendiary language as the stocking trade of some powerful voices opposing the animal rights movement. I have to wonder what Tom would think to hear ourselves from within the movement, vegans and, and animal advocates, referring to ourselves or to each other in this way now. I would expect pushback against such slurs rather than kind of saying, well, yeah, have you met vegans? Vegans are these people because vegan veganism is is based on the peace movement it's about non-violence it's about compassion and kindness and justice and respect and i just i don't see that well i guess my bottom line isn't to defend veganism i'm i'm not here to say oh vegans aren't aren't like this vegans are x y and z my point is to take people where they are and try to get them to take steps that actually help animals in the real world and that is the bottom line for me, is how many animals are suffering in the real world. And if people view vegans very negatively, and if people view vegans as worse you know, than atheists and, and all the other groups, then that's where they are. And my point is I can either try to dissuade them of their stereotype of vegans, or I can try to reach them where they are with a message that can get through to them that will have them take actions to help animals in their everyday life. And my choice is, is to worry about what message they can hear that will have them take a step to help animals rather than try to argue with them about the, their correct perception of vegans. I think I think we probably all agree that, that certainly doing the best that we can for other animals has got to be the goal. I think that we'll probably disagree a lot between all of us because, you know, some of us are coming from a utilitarian perspective, some from deontological, some from just an animal rights perspective. So I think that the very premise of our arguments are going to lead to disagreement in a, oh, lot, sure. of, in a lot of cases. And, and that can't really, 
I mean, you're not going to convince me to sort of take up a utilitarian argument and obviously I'm not going to convince you not to and that's okay there's nothing wrong with that that doesn't mean that that you're right and I'm wrong or vice versa I think it, it I think what I'm trying to say is that we can if we can understand that the, the premise of your argument is different to the premise of my argument then we can probably reach a better understanding of each other does that make sense I think you're no I think you're absolutely right Caroline I mean the the fact is, is, is very much so that I'm a utilitarian, and um, that's that's where I'm coming from. Everything for me is about reducing suffering, and it's not necessarily even about animals, as I, I've written in my books and essays. And if someone convinced me that I could do something in human rights or in science or in uh, politics that would reduce more suffering in the world than than what I'm doing now. Then I would do that. It's not like I it's not like I love animals and hate humans. It's not that I you know <laughs> love chickens and hate cows. It's just I'm trying to figure out where I can work that will reduce the most suffering and in what what messaging I can do given everything else in the world to to to, do, to accomplish that. That's just that's just my point of view on the world. And I'm not saying everyone should have that point of view. I'm not saying that that any other point of view is wrong, but that's that's where I'm coming from. Is what can ha- I do on a day to day basis with the world as it is to reduce as much suffering as possible? Yeah, yeah, right. Um, Matt, going back to the video and also in regard to to what you you've already said here today, you say that we've been failures at vegan advocacy so far based on the recidivism rate of around eighty percent. I agree. This is a huge, huge problem. Um, Tom Reagan, again, said in an AR Zone interview a few years ago that this was a concern of his, too. He said that as one person becomes an animal advocate, another person leaves. And it does seem to be that way. There are a number of reasons for this, I suspect. But one that particularly concerns me is how we treat other vegans. The faunalytic survey that you quote in the video, correct me if I'm wrong, but you're quoting the faunalytic survey, um, Although it doesn't differentiate between vegans and plant-based eaters, so it doesn't seem accurate to calculate a recidivism rate of actual vegans in this way, it concludes that 63% of former vegetarians and vegans said they disliked that their diet made them stick out from the crowd. As we normalise veganism, hopefully this will be less and less of a problem for vegans, but likening vegans to terrorist groups isn't likely to do that. And calling vegans names like, as we do, like extremists, fanatics and welfareists and, and names like that, just for doing the best they can in the world, isn't likely to do that either to normalise veganism. It seems positioning veganism in such a way is doing the exactly the opposite of what that faunalytic survey recommended for advocates to think more about retention and supporting and retaining new vegans and vegetarians as they face any of a number of challenges. If a vegan chooses not to advocate directly for veganism, say if they choose to advocate for whales or chickens or something else instead, are they helping other animals? by positioning veganism in this way as extremist or fanatical or whatever? And are they helping their fellow vegans who are advocating veganism? That's a great question. I, I think there are, there are several parts to that. The first is, is to, to emphasize the, your point about what um, drives people away. Um, there have been a number of surveys, not just a faunalytic survey, to show that the, the great 
um, recidivism rate out there. And one of the things that the Humane League Labs found is that people feel as though they can't live up to the constant demands for purity. Um, and they're like, you know, if I, I can't do this, you know, everyone's always on my case because I'm not, I'm vegetarian, but I'm not vegan. I'm not vegan enough. I'm not active enough or whatever. And so I think that you are absolutely right in thinking about how we treat other people. And if we are doing something that is constantly just, you know, you see people post on, on Facebook threads and they say, wow, you know, this video is really powerful. I'll give up chickens. And people, you know, yell at them. You should give up eating all animals. They say, I've gone vegetarian. They scream. You should go vegan. You know, do you like rape? Um, This is, this is the kind of thing that I, that I think, is 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 just you're spot on with this. This is the kind of thing that that drives people away. That you don't want to be a club of people who just come across online or in you know other contexts as just as screaming at people, you know, judging them because they're they're not X, Y, or Z enough. My point in the video wasn't to speak to vegetarians or vegans. My point in the video was to reach out to people who think that veganism is impossible, they think that vegans are annoying, and they just don't want to consider the issue at all. And if I can get those people to consider the issue, if I can get those people to think about, maybe there is something I can do in this space. Maybe there is something in the vegetarian realm or in the changing your diet realm that can have an impact that doesn't put me, you know, out standing out from all my friends or family and like, then that's what I'm trying to do. I'm trying to reach out to people where they are. I'm trying to validate their views of things, understand their views of things and, and realize that instead of telling them, you know, vegans are this, vegans are that telling them, this is something that you can do. This is something you can consider without having to feel like I have to make this giant leap. I have to be completely different from my friends and family. I have to give up everything I've, I've ever enjoyed and everything I always thought was okay. And so that's, that was my, that was my approach in the video. I, I understand that. I think this is where we'll probably disagree. I think that normalizing veganism and normalizing vegans, I mean, vegans are kind of like lawyers or bus drivers or doctors, you know, they're good and they're bad and they're thoughtful and they're less thoughtful. And and there are going to be people whose motivations and people whose actions we're going to disagree with, whether we're doctors or vegans or lawyers or bus drivers or or whatever we are to me it seems that that normalizing veganism is the best step we can take to help those people who are feeling kind of maybe ostracized or feeling that they they can't live up to the standards that they feel they should be living up to i mean the, the very definition of vegan includes possible and practicable and nobody gets to tell me what's possible and practicable for me and no one gets to tell you what's possible and practicable for you based on their own experiences and their own lives so i think that we can be a lot more understanding and we can possibly be a lot more charitable to each other but i still think that that normalizing veganism is is the best thing that we can do to help those vegans and vegetarians who are struggling because 
I, I as a as a vegan family, my family struggles. I have a child who who really really struggled with veganism. You know, he was he was he was young, but he was old enough to have established himself as a a person that he wanted to be when I decided that my family was going to become vegan. And we had some real struggles, even with, you know, school uniforms, school lunches, so many things that people without children don't think about and things that you'd be well aware of yourself. Um, So I think if we can understand that people struggle and if we can understand that everybody's circumstances and everybody's situation is different, no one gets to tell anyone else what's possible for, for them based on their own experiences. But I still come back to the fact that I think that normalising veganism and not calling each other's names, not not referring to veganism as fanatical or purist. I mean, I don't even know what that means. What's a purist vegan compared to just a vegan? Um, I think that that's, that's the best thing that we can do for each other and to help each other and to help those who are struggling and to support them. Do you, do you agree with that? <laughs> oh, I, I, I applaud. I mean, I didn't know there was a question. Sorry. Oh, no, there was. Sorry, there was really. <laughs> but um, I, I applaud everyone who's. Yeah, yeah. Um, I applaud everyone who's who's setting a, a positive vegan example out there. I think that's. I think that's great. I and mean, Michelle Kane, um, in World of Vegan, is just is doing, you know, yeoman's work in that in that space um here in, in the united states and then I, I i applaud her and i applaud everyone who's doing that that's just not where i view my space as to be able to have the greatest influence at this time okay thanks matt i'd like to speak with you about fishes this i know this this is a um a concern that came out of the Vox video as well. The mission of One Step is to prevent as much suffering as possible. We know that fishes are slaughtered in their trillions every year, and we know that the aquaculture industry or fish factory farming is growing three times faster than land-based animal agriculture. I just wanted to explain a little bit about this issue before I ask you the question. The fish factory farms are absolutely hideous. I really wish animal advocates concentrated more on this issue. Fishes are fed large amounts of antibiotics. They're raised in filthy water that has high levels of pneumonia and nitrates. They become infested with parasites and bacterial infections. Fishes breathe through their gills. So when their environment is this filthy, their lives are absolutely unbearable. Around 60% of all fishes raised on these factory farms don't even make it to slaughter before dying from disease. Almost 500 billion billion fishes are taken from our oceans every year just to be turned into fish meal and fish oil, which is then fed to those fishes who are kept in fish factory farms. So even more fishes are taken from the oceans to feed factory farmed fishes than would actually be taken to feed humans directly, which obviously is very unsustainable. To produce one tonne of farmed salmon flesh, it requires about two and a half tonnes of other fishes who have been taken from the ocean, such as anchovies, due to their small size. So 500 individual fishes can be killed for fish oil just to feed one single salmon, who will then be killed and eaten. Then there's the horrifying way these individuals are eventually slaughtered. The fact that even taking fishes directly from the ocean for human consumption is causing environmental devastation and untold suffering. 
the horrific human rights abuses and exploitation that take place in the fishing industry and the fact that the oceans will be dead within 30 years if we continue with all of this. So to my question, if it's suffering that one step is concerned with, do you worry that by asking humans to not eat chickens, given that many humans who choose to eat chickens rather than cows or pigs often do so for the perceived health benefits? Do you worry that you may be pushing them to eating fishes and actually causing more suffering in the end, both to the individuals involved, human and other animals, and to the planet? Yeah, that's a that's a great that's a great question. It's a, a topic that that we at one step and and other people have have had extensive conversations about. Um, there there are three questions. There are three there are three topics here, and and we don't have the time to get into them um, in any any great depth. So um, I, I'm, I'm sure that this will come across as more callous than, than it's intended. Obviously, I don't want any fishes to be killed. Um, you know, I don't eat fish. I don't, I don't advocate that anyone eats fish. Um, but there are three reasons why one step focuses. Well, there are many reasons, but there are three primary reasons why we focus on chickens and not fishes. Um, one is, is, the distinction between farmed fish and wild-caught fish. Now, it's entirely possible that a wild-caught fish will suffer more than a fish in the wild that dies naturally. But every wild animal will die. Every wild animal will suffer, regardless of how they end up dying. And they can die of disease. They can die of starvation. They can die of being of predation. Um, so eating a wild-caught fish is not necessarily adding significantly to the amount of suffering in the world compared to breeding a fish and having that fish who wouldn't have otherwise existed then suffer in the conditions you eloquently described and then be slaughtered. Um, so the distinction, we, we draw a distinction between wild-caught fish and, and farmed fish and that farmed fish are directly adding to the amount of suffering in the world. Um, the second reason is that our target audience for dietary change tends to be younger people who aren't as embedded in their ways. Um, they're more, they're not, this is not to say that every young per, younger person is going to change or is willing to change or that no older person is willing to change. This is just general percentages and the general numbers we get from, say, for example, who reacts to an online ad. If we leave it age open and we break down what number of people click on it compared to what number of people saw it broken down by age groups. It, uh, we have more people who are younger who are interested in, in the various ads we've run over the years. Now, younger people tend to eat very low fish compared to older people. Um, in the, I've had this conversation with Harish Sethu, who runs the blog Counting Animals and who now runs the Humane League Labs, about the, the age breakdown of fish consumption. Um, I can just give you a, a story that's just, just an anecdote, um, but it, it, will give, it will paint a picture of, of what we're looking at. Sure. Um, our, daughter, our daughter has just turned 23, um, and she, so she grew up vegan, but she you know, had many meals through grade school, middle school, high school, college, and now working in Washington, D.C., um, with young women. Um, she, she was a runner, so she was with the, the running team. She was in Science Olympiads, so she was with the Science Olympiad team. So she's, you know, had a wide variety of experience. And 
she was in Arizona, she was in California, she's in Washington, D.C., and none of her friends ever ate fish. They always ate chicken. And just this is this is something she's watched for over the years. And it's just an amazing fact that of the hundreds, if not thousands of of people she's interacted with at at, at track meets, at science nationals for science Olympiad, and that everyone is eating chicken, but never, never eating fish. And so that brings me to you know, to our third point is that one step for animals is focused on just that, the one step that we want people to take. Now, so many people have, have told us, well, why not say don't eat chickens and don't eat eggs, which is another you know, really significant concern for us is, is mm-hmm. eggs um, because of the, the intensity of the suffering for battery caged hens. Um, and it's because we want just one thing. We want we don't want to tell people go halfway vegan or you know do this this and this. We want to say the one thing that the one step that people can take, and we want this step to be something that's concrete to them. And a bird has to die for chicken, whereas even though we understand this completely, people don't understand the suffering behind an egg. They just they just don't, yeah. and it's too complicated to try to convince them when they're still happily eating chicken flesh, and. People who, you know, they, even if we were convinced that giving up fish would prevent more suffering, fish is a, just a much harder sell for people. I have known, you talked about recidivism, and this is, you know, one of the biggest concerns for us, if not the biggest concern for us, that I have known hundreds of people who were vegetarian, who were vegan, that went back to eating animals. And some of them were very close friends of mine. And it, they often go back to eating fish. That's the thing they go back to. So it's the, it's the thing that is the furthest from them on the ethical continuum. And so since we want to be psychologically powerful and smart in our ask, we don't want to tell people, Take this last step that is furthest away from you, that is the most abstract thing from from what you can possibly consider. We want to give them something that is real in their life, chickens, that is easier for them to comprehend, that chickens can feel pain, that chickens can want to live, and that, that chickens have to die for them to be eaten. So this is why we focus on that one step, why we focus on on the chickens. Thanks, Matt. I can I can understand what you're saying and why you're doing what you're doing. And I don't want with my question. I, I obviously wasn't mean, meaning to dismiss the suffering that chickens go through because I know that their lives are absolutely horrific. One thing, um, well, two things that I just wanted to add out of that is that um, when fishes who are like free living fishes, when they're caught and um, in in the oceans. The suffering that they go through is immense. It's incredible. They can be crushed to death. They can get the bends when they're being dragged up by the gill nets. I mean, I know all you, that you know all of these things. 
if they're hooked, they, that's the most sensitive part of, of, of their face. A lot of people say, well, they just have one bad day. I kind of think that, and that, I'm not saying that that's what you're saying. I kind of think that's a little bit dismissive of the suffering that they go through. But the suffering when they're particularly gill nets and drift nets and the environmental devastation that's caused by those are, are, are big issues as well. And I agree with you that very much that, people who have been vegans or vegetarians will go back to eating fishes first. And I think that a big part of that is because we just don't relate to fishes as much as we do to mammals or even to birds. You know, a lot of people will have, have chickens and as part of their families and people can relate to chickens in a way that they can't relate to fishes. They, they can be family members. You know, fishes don't follow people around the house and sit in their beds. So they just don't – fishes are just so much – different to humans and I think that as animal advocates I think it kind of reminds me of what I said about normalizing veganism if we can speak up more about fishes and if we can explain more about the suffering that they go through I think that that would that would be something that would that would I guess bring fishes more to our attention that's kind of gone off track on, on what you were saying. It's just something that I'm really passionate about. And um, I'm just, just agreeing with you that, that as, as humans in general, we don't view fishes in the same way as we do most other land-based animals. Right. Absolutely. It's, it, that, that's absolutely the case. And it's, you know, it's something that we've considered. Um, it's something we can have ongoing debates with. We talk with experts um, about who know more about fishes than, than we do. Uh, so it's, it's definitely something that, that we concern ourselves with. All right, Matt, um, is there anything particularly that's come out of the Vox video that I haven't mentioned that you wanted to mention today? Um, the one thing that is, is important that, that they didn't really convey um, the same way I meant to. Um, well, first I'd like to make the point that I spoke with the producer of the video for an hour on the phone that was recorded. Then I spoke with the producer for over an hour on camera, from which they chose about two and a half minutes. As you implied earlier, they were trying to be as clickbaity as possible. They wanted to drive as much traffic as they could to their site. Um, yeah, the, the, the video on YouTube had over 800,000 views. The, the video on their Facebook page, inline Facebook page at about half a million views in addition to that. And so you know, they obviously know what they're doing in terms of marketing. The one thing that that I didn't that they did not convey the same way I had explained it to them is is where animals stand in the United States right now. Um, they talked about total meat consumption and I was talking to them about per capita meat consumption because we could be having you know vegetarians you know, growing in terms of percentage of the population, but the population is growing so much that the number of animals killed is 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 growing just because population is growing so much. My point is that I was trying to make to them, and I think is is the single most important point I would like anyone, no matter what they think of me, no matter what they think of One Step, the the single point I would like everyone to understand that where that what drives us is that right now in the United States, the average person will eat more animals in 2017 than they've ever eaten before, ever. And that means that they're causing more animals to be factory farmed than ever before. And this is because of the increase in chicken consumption. And 
that is that is the single thing that drives us. That you know that the people who have created one step that advise one step, um, including Peter Singer. You know, we've been at this for dec- literally decades, and right now in the United States, each person out there will cause more animal suffering than ever before. And it's not, you know, per capita meat consumption, it's, it's per capita animal consumption, the number of animals mm. that people are, are, are eating and thus causing to be raised on factory farms. And there was a time around the Great Recession and a little bit after when chicken prices were up and and there was you know, the economic recession and chicken consumption went down, but it is now more than recovered where it was before. And people are eating in the United States and in um, a piece I read by uh, online somewhere. Uh, oh no, it was you pointed out. You pointed out about the an Israel piece. There were yeah. several Israel pieces that said that you know the people in Israel were eating more chickens than ever before as well. And and so this is what this is where I'm coming from. That right now in the United States, more more animals are suffering per person than ever before. You know, I started out handing out. I, I, well, I started out as you said, you know, protesting for vivisection, and I handed out all these booklets about veganism, booklets about veganism, and then other you know, booklets that were basically veganism disguised. And yet, the number of animals being killed per person has gone up and up and up and it just it just drove me and and my co-founders to say let's try something else let's try something else that doesn't cause people to stop eating red meat and eating more chickens um, because we can see this we can see this in the graph we can see this in the numbers and it's just it's utterly depressing and you know, to be honest, demoralizing. And it's just, it's what driv- has driven us to, to want to try something new. Thanks, Matt. Thank you so much for giving us your time today to speak about some important issues and to clear up some others. Thanks also for the decades of work you've given to make the world a better place. Thank you, Caroline. I really appreciate the time that you've taken to, to talk with me about this. Absolutely my pleasure. Thanks, Matt. No member of the animal kingdom Nurses past maturity No member of the animal kingdom Ever did a thing to me Why don't eat red meat or white fish Don't give me no blue cheese We're all members of the animal kingdom